0: Namaste Motherfuckers Welcome to Namaste Motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of work, comedy and well-being collide. I'm your host Callie Beaton and this episode is called The Bold, The Beautiful and The Beddy. And before we get into it, just a friendly reminder that if you haven't already, please give Namaste motherfuckers a follow now, wherever you get your stuff. That way, you'll never miss a show. Thanking you kindly, motherfuckers. But back to today's episode, my guest found herself unexpectedly at the very heart of a scandal in the 1990s that went on to have a life-changing impact both on her personally and on her career. The word scandal originated in the 1580s, meaning damage to one's reputation. Nearly three centuries later came Scandal Sheet, a self-described sensational newspaper, and that was in 1884, and so began tabloid journalism. Some of the biggest scandals of our time include in no particular order Clinton Levinsky talking of which actually I loved the BBC's impeachment American crime story if you get a chance to watch that I'm sure it's out there somewhere but back to scandals of our time remember when Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie became a couple and when Hugh Grant got caught out with Divine Brown or when George Michael, God rest his soul, got caught short in a toilet with an LAPD officer and let's not forget Janet Jackson's nipple gate at the 2004 Super Bowl. Simpler times. This is like old times looking at you across a desk. I know. It was nicer when it was for real. I'm gonna put a light on me. That's my guest today, Nikki Beatty. In 2017, the daughter of the Pakistani Prime Minister was caught in a corruption scandal after submitting deeds allegedly written in 2006. Unfortunately for her, the deeds were written using the Calibri font, which wasn't actually available in 2007. I have to say that is the nerdiest way to get caught out ever. A muffin walloper, yes a muffin walloper, was Victorian slang for a gossip loving woman who liked nothing more than discussing the latest scandal over tea and cakes. That sounds like me and my friend Joe every Saturday morning to be honest. And finally the phenomenon of a woman jumping out of a cake has its origins in a 19th century scandal when a scantily clad woman came out of a pie at a party in 1895. A pie? Not even a cake? Sounds like it might have been a savoury pie.
1: But I have to say I'm so glad this isn't being visualised because I'm so fucking exhausted. Are you?
0: Nikki Beatty is a British TV and radio presenter with a passion for celebrating arts, culture and the stories of extraordinary people. She got into presenting in the 1990s when Channel 4 gave her her own talk show, Bombay Chat and its success prompted Star TV to give her a primetime chat show, Nicky Tonight, which quickly became Asia's most widely viewed show, until the scandal, which you'll hear about in this episode, hit. Since 2013, she's been hosting the Arts Hour on BBC World Service to an audience of 97 million listeners. That's just two more than we have for the podcast. And she's been a regular on BBC Radio 4 for many years, including covering for Clive Anderson on Loose Ends and as a sometime presenter of Women's Hour. In late 2020, she became co-host of the brilliant Saturday Live, alongside the Reverend Richard Coles. Nikki and I talked about marriage, age, patriarchies, spinal injuries, film, travel, Bollywood, the Dalai Lama, Bond movies, the Pope, Othello, the Bold and the Beautiful, Being Cancelled, Mumbai and L.A. But I started by asking her about her description of herself as Indo-Anglian.
1: Yeah, that was because living in India for so long, it is so patriarchal and it is a patrilinear society. So I used to say, well, I'll just go with it, and I'll put the father first then, Indo-Anglian, you know, instead of Anglo-Indian. But also, you know, Anglo-Indian means something slightly different in India. What does it mean? Be- well, the Anglo-Indian communities are were often... Um, the women would be Indian women, and the men would be British men coming out there to work on the railways, and so they they created these little communities that were anglo communities there's a word for them but it's no longer appropriate to use the word okay. that we used to sum them up but and it, and it was it's quite different because there are whereas my father was the indian one my mother english and my father's family were we don't believe in the caste system obviously i need to say that but they were like the brahmin level of maharashtrians mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so the anglo indian community would be quite different so I think when I once said I was Anglo-Indian, I was told, you're not (laughs) Anglo-Indian.
0: So you went Indo-Anglian? I did that really as a bit of tongue-in-cheek. I was going to say, because anything that's at all patriarchal hasn't really been your signature tune for your life. So I see that if you're going with the, (laughs) taking the fatherly bloodline. And is that, so you were, you were born in the UK, born in Aylesbury. So how did you end up spending time in India Then, if your parents met over here? Because you were discovered as a sort of on-screen talent when you were in Mumbai, right? Oh, okay. So there's a big gap in between that. But so every
1: year we would go to India on holiday. And in Mm -hmm. fact, when we were very young, we'd go for a few months and we'd have a tutor every morning who'd come. And she would teach us whatever was on the curriculum. But as soon as we started getting to O-level age, we would only go for sort of a month at Christmas. So I had that Indian experience, but I moved to India when I was 20. I was married at 20, so
0: i have got Because you've for... got a couple of, when I was looking at you've got a couple of interesting marriages under your belt. I do. baby. Yeah. I
1: do. So um, I'd gone, uh, I'd actually, I was applying for drama schools and then was thrown off a horse in East Noyle, down in an area... Well, you're I know there. East
0: Noyle really well. There yeah. you go. On a Some people will East know Noyle. because of Cloud's House. There's the famous... Um, Rehab. Rehab, Cloud's House, yes. Very close to where this farm was. Mm-hmm.
1: And Andrew Lloyd Webber had a home there, I That's believe. right.
0: Not connected with rehab, we should say. No, no, no. We no, don't no, want to no. get cancelled.
1: No. <laughs> Although, <laughs> if there'd been Twitter in my day, I'd have been cancelled repeatedly. Anyway. So then... um I, I because I broke my back falling off this horse. I oh, you actually broke go, your back. Yes, in in a number of places. Bloody hell! Uh, I was in hospital, and I therefore couldn't do any of the recalls or any of that. And then my grandparents had come from India. I think my grandfather was having a cataract operation, and then they said, "Come back and be with us for a while, whilst you you know you recuperate, see the family, etc." So I went. Now in Bombay. Most people live in apartments. Very few people have old-style bungalows or houses. Mm -hmm. And so I lived... Well, my grandparents lived on the fourth floor of a building called Mayfair House Mm -hmm. on a road called Little Gibbs Road. Also English, (laughs) isn't it? And my father had grown up on the ground floor. And then when they built the bigger floors upstairs, the bigger apartments on the fourth floor, the family had moved upstairs. And my... Husband, my first husband, was living in the flat downstairs that my father had grown up in. That is so weird. And then he had a little balcony and all these plants and he had these tall wicker sort of chairs that looked over the balcony. And so when I'd come in from swimming at Breach Candy Pool or whatever, he would go, hi, hi and then he said come by and that's what they always say in India come by in England if you say drop by well do we ever say
0: drop by I don't want anybody dropping by well, my house well it's not at the now. time we used to drop by didn't we in the 70s people would drop by I think Angela Barnes does material about that that on a Sunday you know your parents would pack you in the car and go we're going to go and call on whoever and you'd yes. all turn up but that <laughs> would not be welcomed nowadays would it no
1: <laughs> but in India when people say drop by you do also because they've got lines of defence up to them because somebody else opens the door for you you, that sort of thing. So you could always lie and say you weren't there. It's not like an English home, is it?
0: So I want to know then, first of all, how old was this man? So you were 20 and with a broken back, quite the catch. Well, oh <laughs> <laughs> who wouldn't want a piece of that? <laughs> I was also terribly chubby. I, I mean, can't believe you've ever been terribly really, chubby. Really,
1: really. So, yeah, he used to call me my 65-kilo Nick's 60, I mean, I really was quite like that. A lot of it was because I wasn't able to, you know, exercise and do things for ages, but continue to eat and drink unabated. abated. But, um, so he was 10 years, nearly 10 years older than me. And so wonderful you,
0: man a wonderful man who you met down in the down in the basement and yeah. boy next door boy downstairs yeah boy well that means something else perhaps boy downstairs but <laughs> boy downstairs so how did boy downstairs become first mr. baby only he wasn't mr. baby was he because that's your name from your no. second husband exactly so my name is Nikila
1: mulgaukar so mulgaukar is a Maharashtra name mm-hmm. and my first husband's surname was Vijayakar also a Maharashtra. So did you double barrel at that point? No, can you imagine that on a check in of those a, days? That's yeah, a hell of a sentence. Nikila Kanta Mulgawka Vijayaka. Wait, you see, in India, no problem. Here, yeah. anybody who sees a mixture of syllables in, in those days would have just gone... Although if you're well doing a corporate speech
0: where you're paid by the minute, that's your first minute done, just saying who you are. So it would be <laughs> great now. <laughs> 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 ah. So what name did you go with?
1: You went with his name. I did, I was Nikki Vidyorka and then we had a wonderful, wonderful time. We were living in this phenomenal Art Deco apartment with furniture by Le Corbusier and I don't know what it was, our lives were so carefree. He was, first of all there was no TV in India, you had two government stations. So people didn't sit around and watch TV in the evenings. They went out. I learned more about cinema in those first few years I was in India than I have done in my life. I saw Tarkovsky retrospectives, Fellini, Antonioni, you name it. We had the Max Muller-Bavan where we saw German films. We went to the um, Alliance Francaise and saw French auteurs. I mean, every night there was something happening. We saw dance you know, contemporary dance, Indian classical dance. I learned about Indian classical music. We were always doing something and people hung out and we partied
0: and there was jazz and it was incredible. And is that where you got, well, we'll talk about what you do now, but you do seem to have this massive capacity to be... I mean, that. well, culturally, you are one of the most educated people I've ever met. You just seem to know about such a diverse range of influences, languages, cultures, aspects of culture. Is that where that all kind of was born, in that marriage? Or did you always just have that?
1: I think I, think I had a little bit of that. But definitely, it was Sunil who lit up my, my world and opened my world. What
0: a great first marriage. I mean, that's worth it, even just for the education. Who needs university oh when you've got him as a first totally. husband? Totally. And all
1: the friends that he had around him, friends and family, I have remained friends with, which is incredibly hard to do when some people break up marriages. So I thank him forever for that. I really do.
0: Can I ask, what's is, he, is he still around? Are you still in contact
1: with him or not? He is a, very much around. He moved to London. He's married. Um, he is a food economist. So often oh, when he? you see... Yeah. Oh, you know what that is. I do know what that is. So he does a lot of, like if you see the Waitrose magazine or certain ad campaigns, he does them. he's He's got a number of cookery books and he married this phenomenal designer called Geraldine Larkin, who was, I, I mean, I shouldn't really be telling their story, but she was in India doing lots of the embroidery and fine sequin work for incredible designers, Jill Sander, Armani, and, so, and Sunil was very artistic, so... They obviously had loads in common. And she has her own studio here. So they moved to the UK. She's Irish. Well, she was never in India to live. But they have a son. And yeah. But we're in touch. But I mean, I hurt him so badly, Callie. It's, it, you know, when what did you do say to him, Nikki? I fell in
0: love with my co star in a play. And then. Is that who became your second husband? It is. And your second husband, I may be pronouncing it wrongly, Kabir Bedi. Yes. Bedi. Bedi, very good. Is a very handsome man.
1: Do you know what though? Oh my God! So, do you speak Italian? Because you speak lots of languages. No, I don't. I speak Dutch, French, a bit of Spanish. Don't get me into Italian. Okay, so Grande Fratello VIP, Big Brother VIP. He is currently in the Big Brother house in Italy because... Uh, Is he? Yes, because apart from Celebrity Big Brother. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Apart from being um, a very big Bollywood actor, he would never call himself a Bollywood star because he never um, danced and sang. Um, And the heroes have to dance and sing. And also, he's incredibly tall. He's like six foot four. And that doesn't work in Bollywood, so... He was, yeah, he, he was, he's an he's a actor and a Bollywood
0: actor, very, very famous. Because the but egos he, of those Bollywood actors, I mean, because they just go a bit unchecked, don't they? I mean, it's a, such a massive, massive... They're gods. Yeah, yeah. They are gods. And when you think about the number of
1: people who watch Bollywood movies, not just the billion in India, but the diaspora, it's... Also, you know, when you, you speak to Russians, Russians all got Bollywood movies... Um, lots of the, the sort of Eastern European countries got Bollywood movies. All of the Middle East, it sort of, it spreads its tentacles wide and quite deep sometimes.
0: So he was an actor, a Bollywood actor, but he wouldn't call himself a Bollywood star. But no, he did he's other too stuff, humble. But he did, so he was in Octopussy, was it? So he did, oh, yes, yes. He, did he was an, in a Bond movie. In a Bond movie. And what has led him, what has led to him being in the Celebrity <laughs> Big Brother house in Italy? That sounds like a leap. Okay, so... He was devastatingly good looking when he was in his He 20s surely and was. Yeah. Even and I after... got a bit flustered looking at his pictures, let alone <laughs> yes. meeting him in the flesh. I was like, oh, Nikki Beatty's been had, had the maritable bliss of this man for however you, long you were with him. You know, he's 75 now. Is he? Doesn't oh my God! No, he's and he's still devastatingly good looking. And, and we're not twenty-five he, anymore, if we're honest, are we? We've twenty-five <laughs> recurring,
1: nearly recurring again. Exactly. So, <laughs> so he um, he auditioned for an Italian miniseries called Sandokan, and this was a story based on an Italian writer called Emilio Salgari's stories, and it was about the Tiger of Malaysia, il La Tigre de Malaysia. And Emilio Salgari had never been to India, Malaysia, or any of these countries that he wrote about, but he had a very definite image of what this swashbuckling, sort of pirate-type man would look like, and it was Kabir. Ah. When this miniseries hit, nobody was on the streets. When, he, when Kabir went out to, to sort of do a TV show or something, they had to shut down roads. There were pictures of him with people climbing over cars. It became...
0: Insane! It was, was it on Rai Uno. Yeah. Was it on the big uh, commercial? Yeah, I think so, it was yeah. Rai Uno. Yeah, yeah.
1: and he—I mean, it was just—it was just extraordinary. And there was a song, Sandokan, Sandokan. When we were in Capri, we you still festival?
0: with him at this point. That he became. No, this gosh, massive? that was in the late seventies. Oh, okay. So you were fairly long. Oh, so you hadn't met him yet. So no, he was, no, oh. I was a child. Yeah. I was a child. Yeah. But
1: they then, Italy took. Kabir and the character of Sandakan to their hearts. And he Ah. continued. He then did Il Korsaro Nera, the black pirate, and they fell in love with him. And of course, there was a fair amount of exotica because of the way he looked and the roles he was playing. But he's also, he's a deep thinker and highly educated and came from, his mother became a Tibetan Buddhist nun for the last 20 years of her life, highest order ever given to a woman. And um, so that when we met the Dalai Lama when he saw Kabir he put his arms out like this because it, he thanked Kabir's mother for helping him get out of Tibet I'm just he, getting over you saying when
0: we met the Dalai Lama like that's not even a thing no <laughs> oh one said I, that before wait I met the Pope as well with Sir Ben Kingsley oh my goodness I was going to oh, ask well, you who the interesting I didn't realise that you not only were meeting all these interesting people but had family links to these things so how did you come into the orbit and then the marital bed of Kabir Bedi Okay, well, I have
1: to be very honest, it was not the marital bed first of all, it was pre-marriage that I got
0: into that bed. But anyway. Fair play. um, I've never been married, Nikki, so clearly I'm not one to cast the first stone.
1: Well, I've done it twice and I would say I'm never doing it again. I'm quite happy not to have that. But you know, being in in India in those days, it was very difficult societally to be to just live with someone. Mm Mm-hmm. And even my Indian side of the family would not have approved. So yeah, that was. I'm not saying that those are the reasons I got married, but that there is a pressure. There was a pressure. There was,
0: was. And so you met him. How did you? How
1: did you? Who I was cast as Desdemona in a huge production of Othello. And because you used to be
0: an actor before you got into acting. Yes, I did. Right. Yes.
1: And I played every single role that you can play in a Hindi TV series. There's only six of them, repeatedly. And in fact, for one, I I even wore the same costume once because you used to have to hire these costumes from a place called Lal Dresswala, and it was like you know, like Angels and Birmingham yes, in London I do. or yeah. Angels now. And so when it came to a British Raj memsab, they had that outfit that uh, Audrey Hepburn wore at the races in My Fair Lady—the white and the oh, yes. blue and the hat. I wore that twice.
0: How amazing. For different characters. Well, I hope there are photos of that in existence somewhere.
1: Yeah, they won't be be surfacing, (laughs) let me assure you. So, yes, so um, I had been acting in Hindi TV series. I'd done a a sort of couple of art projects and been doing things on stage. And then, yeah, then I was cast as Desdemona. And Kabir had done quite a bit of theatre and this... Director who was putting us together, well, he thought he was India's Cecil B. DeMille. He thought he was India's, you know, Trevor Nunn. He uh, he was an advertising guru, but he wanted to make Othello into he wanted to play to Othello's Muslim roots. Mm. So, as Iago poisons Othello's ear, suggesting that Desdemona was having something going on with Cassio, and um, Othello goes back to his Muslim roots. So they had him doing a sort of self-flagellation mm-hmm. scene, all it was it was really interesting. But having said that, he played him with darker makeup and mm-hmm. a wig, you know, mm-hmm. which would just be horrific today. It would, and when would this have been then? What, what year? That would, would, that would have been? been. Nineties? So I married him in 90, 92, 93. So yeah, it would have been 1991, 92, I think, yeah.
0: So you were with him for quite a while. You were in that you you did a decent stint in each of your marriages. I did fourteen years with Kabir. I've never been with anyone as long as fourteen years. That's amazing. Well,
1: towards the end, I think we'd come to a point where we knew it wasn't going to carry on. There was nothing, you know, momentous, but we decided to go our separate ways. But it yes. So there was no acrimony. There was nothing awful.
0: And he's very, very happily married again for the fourth time. Oh, is he? When you look like him, you can just keep getting married. There's never going yep. to, At 95, <laughs> he could go and they married a fifth time.
1: Yes, he probably could, but I hope not for Perrine's sake, because I think she's fabulous. And that's, that's the other thing. I, all, I know all his wives... So one Christmas in L.A., we were living in L.A., I had both his ex-wives and all three of his children, two from the first wife, one from the second, and there I am in the kitchen slaving over a hot stove (laughs) making a frickin' turkey for all these people. And, you know, I hate to say this, but there is a very Indian attitude to being in the kitchen when you have grown up with staff. So nobody thinks, nobody remembers. Yeah, they don't know what it takes to shop. Well, to plan, to shop, to prep, to To wash up, I'm thinking. Oh, wash up, forget it. Yeah. You know, no way. So, yeah. So, did you live with
0: him in LA then? So, at this point, you'd lived, you were brought up in the UK, you'd lived in Mumbai. Did you live in LA because of him?
1: Yes. So, he got a job on The Bold and the Beautiful, which it was initially it was a guest appearance. Actually, I think we went up to. I used to love LA. the bold and the beautiful. I must have seen him in that. He was Prince Omar, and he <gasps> and he loved um, Hunter Tylo's character. What was the yes. name? Taylor. Taylor. Yes. Hunter Tylo. I loved all that. Long. Oh, me go too. To the, we'd go to the. So the Bells, you know, the family who produced Young yeah. and Restless, and and Bold and Beautiful, they are so wonderful and generous and they threw these mega parties and they bought this mansion that used to belong to Rod Stewart. Honestly, Callie, even though I mentioned all these names, everything excited me and it still
0: does excite me. I'm not surprised. I love it. So do you find that's helped you then with all the people you meet now that they don't really blow your skirt up and that you're able to just be you because you've mixed in these kind of circles as long as you can remember?
1: That was a gift. It was a real gift. And also, I think, because of the grace and graciousness and elegance that Kabir moved through all these worlds, because he moved in political circles. He moved in religious groups in certain ways, because his father also became a mystic and a healer. And he also, you know, he understood news and current affairs. So, he were, you know, lots of journalist types were part of our, you know, circle. And then, obviously, not only Hindi cinema, Bollywood, but also working in L.A. and having done big movies before, but then doing regular soaps, whatever it is, and then theatre work. So it really you, it really was
0: a gift in some ways. And do you think, I keep trying to tell myself this now, I don't know if you're single or you're not now, but I've been sort of on and off single most of my last 20 years, plenty of off, but lots of on. And I don't know about you, it's a classic comedians thing that we all say that when we're happy, we're not as funny and we don't do as well with our careers. And it's definitely true that I am a much better comedian when I'm single, partly because I engage in what's going on around me. I'm out in the evenings. I'm more than happy to be there. I'm not looking at my watch thinking I better whiz back to see whoever it is. But I'm also just funnier because I'm not quite as settled has there been a correlation between your because you've got an incredible broadcasting career and you have had for you know the last 20 years and people will know you now from saturday live and they'll know you from loose ends but most people will know who you are if they are at all into listening to the radio but do you think you would i know you can't know because if you weren't married for those years you don't know what it would have been like but did you find you had a sort of different appetite career-wise and voice-wise once you were single Oh, most definitely. So for a start, That's the right answer, Nikki, for me and all the single <laughs> sisterhood out there.
1: You're so perspicacious. I forget how perspicacious you are. But I definitely know that I put lots on hold. Not with Sunil. Sunil just wanted me to fly. Um, but with Kabir, if you if you are with a star, yeah. and a star who's sort of tricontinental... What he wanted was a, a companion, a support system. I, in no way did he hold me back. In fact, really, my break in TV presenting came as a result of the fact that he knew Faruk Dondi at Channel 4 and Faruk was looking for a presenter in India. And so we'd all just happened to have a chat with somebody else and that's how I got my first presenting gig on Channel 4. So Khabib didn't he, he really helped me. But I wanted to be with him. So if he was going off, you know, when you're shooting a movie, you are off for three to six months in, say, Sri Lanka or Colombia. And I wanted my marriage more than I wanted anything else.
0: So you were on the road with him, not because he was saying you're less than me. It is true, though, when you're in the orbit of it, in all my years kind of working for MTV and different, different kind of broadcasters and on big shows it's really hard to explain and lots of our listeners will have been in the orbit of people like this but when you're with those absolute kind of a-listers there's no other way to describe it than that other people end up in their orbit they are they are the star yeah and that's the way it is and whether or not they wish to be or they are assholes or they're lovely people the whole world bends to their shape and that is the way it is Absolutely. And you know what? I think there, I mean, there
1: were times in Italy, we went to a film festival once, got out of the car, and suddenly Kabir disappeared. He was, sw- and I was being shoved out of the way. And his security people had to come and rescue me. And that was, I found that just disgusting, but I was also just so. Angry that I didn't mean anything to anyone in this situation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was a real wake-up call. It's like you are nothing, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and I think I, I for all the great experiences and the travel and the people that I met and the way the world Was presented to me in all sorts of shapes and sizes. I really really wish that i had started pursuing what i wanted to do sooner but i
0: didn't know that i wanted or that i would be a presenter because the idea of finding a voice and you i'm really interested and this has come up a lot on the podcast with different people i'm really interested in the idea of how you kind of find a voice and a sense of self when what's going on around you might not give you a clear steer on that so somebody who's had not a nomadic life but you've certainly had an itinerant life Mm -hmm. and then i used to find when i was younger and had less self-belief and less self-knowledge and less self-esteem I would find even going away to Paris for a weekend, I would feel a bit like I'd love to go, but I'd be a bit like I don't really know how I fit in and I don't seem I don't feel yeah. right here. And I would almost de self wherever I went. I used to do material about, you know, going to Greece for a week and you come back with like a big hat and a gathered skirt and a basket and everyone's looking at you in Kentish and what the fuck is your problem? Namaste,
1: motherfuckers.
0: <laughs> so in terms of your sense of self both in terms of travel and being within a, a marriage with a very dominant character, albeit he wasn't mm. trying to be. So, so how yeah. did you, in a way, it makes sense that it took a while to literally find your voice that then became your career. But, but how did that feel for you, your sense of self and voice and identity?
1: Well, you know, I got, after I did the show for Channel 4, which was called Bombay Chat, and I basically interviewed really, really famous Indians from all walks of life, so from politics to Bollywood to cricket to whatever.
0: And this location. was in the 90s when Channel 4 was fairly new still? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And it And it was, you know, it was fabulous and glamorous. And then I, Murdoch came to Asia with Star TV and they wanted their own talk show so the only talk shows they had were daytime they bought in oprah and phil donahue and i became the nighttime talk show host twice a week prime time with a show called nikki tonight
0: and it was a massive deal wasn't it that show was
1: so massive it went out it went out to three-fifths of the world's population yeah it you know we i was on Billboards. It was just incredible. There wasn't a day that went by. Then there wasn't something in the newspapers. And then it all came crashing down. And it's. uh, Shall I tell the story really briefly? Yeah, do.
0: I've I've read the story, but please do because it wasn't your fault that this all. No, it wasn't. So I
1: had a. So we were. We were, in a sense, firing counterculture missiles into people's living rooms. When you Mm -hmm. think that India... Now, this didn't just go out to India. It went out to huge swathes of of Asia. But India had only had two channels, government channels. Suddenly, they've got all their stuff being beamed in. And here is someone who looks fairly Western, but also presents as Indian... Uh, and she is taking the mickey out of people like Mother Teresa. And, you know, I mean, that sort of stuff was... It was it was a bit out there at, mm-hmm. for that time. Now, mm-hmm. we wouldn't even think about it. Mm-hmm. So I have a guest on this particular show, bearing in mind we'd already been controversial, mm-hmm. and he was India's leading gay rights activist. His name is Ashok Rao Kavi. And... He edited um, what we might call a zine, which was called Bombay Dost. So Mm -hmm. Dost in Hindi means friend, but when you say it as a gay man, it means something else. Mm -hmm. So this was a publication for the gay community. Mm -hmm. Now, it, it was illegal to be gay in India. And so he was treading a sticky path, but he was such an advocate and an activist, and he was amazing. And I asked him why considering that the people that he studied journalism with were now editor of the Hindustan Times, editor of the Times of India, or the Indian Express, massive, massive publications, Mm -hmm. why he'd chosen to do this. He then told me the story of how he'd written an article many years before for a very prestigious magazine called the Illustrated Weekly of India, and the editor published it. In that article, he called Mahatma Gandhi, Gandhiji, a bastard bunya so bunya refers to the grocery class
0: hmm
1: and bastard is the same word <laughs> hmm
0: mm-hmm.
1: he was making a really really silly silly schoolboy point by mm-hmm. saying actually under British rule that prevailed at that time technically oh, Gandhi ji's father was this old and his mother was that so he was but that doesn't it doesn't Just
0: matter taken what he was... as a sound bite yeah. Yeah. and
1: yeah. so he got into awful trouble And so he was relegated to whatever.
0: Well, I, in asking that
1: story, have then stirred up this hornet's nest. But in that same show, I need to say, he outed people who were industrialists, Mm -hmm. who were Hollywood stars and cricketers. So our standards and practices department in Hong Kong, in those days, you, you made the show in Bombay. And then those, do you remember those massive Betamax
0: tapes? Or I like, do. And vi- they'd all go for compliance in yes, Hong Kong. Yes, exactly. I did so bits were- of work with Star TV back in the day. So when I was on the other side of the camera, I knew all about how all of the cogs would were behind the scenes of go. shows like this. Yeah. So those physical tapes were yeah. couriered all the way on a plane to Hong Kong. And the they were the practice. small ones. It used to be one-inch tapes, which were not one-inch. Well, they might have been one-inch, but the cases were like something... Were they like, the
1: umatic ones? Yeah, those
0: massive, yeah. great ones. No, they, that's they were probably like, yeah. what we were yeah. using then. Huge they,
1: things, yeah. There's actually a naked picture of me on the internet sitting on a bunch of those tapes. Well, Nikki, I think everyone listening is going to be straight into Google now. They won't find it. Ah. But it's... But it's um, but I actually, know those might have been Bombay chat, but they were massive tapes. Anyway, they go to Hong Kong. Was that Kong. a press shot or just for fun? What were you doing? Actually, I did a, I did a shoot for um, one of India's greatest photographers who very sadly died, far too young. His name was Das Dasgupta, and it was called Women. And he chose India's most beautiful women. And it didn't mean beauty as in, oh, you've got a nice face and great body. Just women who, mind you, most of them in the book I have to say
0: were models. And in the you're end. rather beautiful as well. For anyone who's never well, seen no, your but face. the face,
1: ho- no, you're so sweet. But this was about being naked. It was all about. The so did everyone form. have to be naked? Yeah, but this is the problem. Most of the people who did it, when they then, when they then had to sign their equivalent of a release form they suddenly got cold feet like their pet, their families would, it would bring shame or they wouldn't get a good marriage. So actually it ended up being mostly the models who were doing that kind of work anyway. But, so I did a shoot for him and there's a full frontal, but no, uh, no pubic people. Yeah, thank you. Um, Breasts were there, legs there. I'm also smoking a cigarette. How do you feel Absolutely. when you look
0: back at that picture now? Because we, oh, we always notice what we do. God. Now we look back and we go, God, I was perfect looking. Oh, we didn't realise, did we? Honey,
1: if only I could look like that now, honestly. And then there's another one of me looking really severe, like all oh, my hair's back off my face. And only people who know me really well would open that. It's the first picture in the book. Only people who know me well would go, That's you. Because it's so. I'm it's dying
0: a- to see these pictures.
1: I'll show you. I'll show you. Show one. Me. I'll take a
0: photo and show. Show, show me. You. I'd love to but, see. So you were saying though that so these massive tapes got sent off to Hong Kong. Sorry. Yes. Thanks for keeping me on no, track. No, that's all right. It's um, not like you SMP, know how to interview Nikki. This is my job. It's not.
1: S M P department. They decided that they had to obviously protect the living, as in the people who we doubted, cut yes. out anything offensive. They did not think about Gandhi. Ah. Gandhi, the father of the Indian nation, and, that and so. In. Yeah, and the next day, it's my photograph and Gandhi G's photograph on the front page of almost every newspaper. So you got the in every event. language. Wow. Well, the thing was, the the, the the headline said things like, "Gandhi called bastard on Nikki tonight," and you know, people don't read beyond I that. Know. So to this day, when I'm back in India, that I'll be at some party and someone will say, "Oh, Nikki Gandhi, bastard," blah, 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 and they'll think that I said it. Because and this was they even never...
0: pre-Twitter. That this there was this furore. Imagine what it'd be like now. Callie, I would be cancelled. I would. That I would probably. They burnt
1: effigies of me in the streets in Delhi. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. This got very serious. Um, But. And they didn't even look like me. But um, that's the worst of it. They weren't naked atop a pile of tapes, were they? No, no. With a bony back and everything. Exactly. So that was very frightening. Very
0: frightening. So what did you do? Did you have to move? Did you move back here, or what did you do? Well, initially,
1: Kabir had said, because he was in L.A. So you were you know still those...
0: with him at this point. You were very oh, much yes. his... Yeah.
1: And I'm faxing all these front pages, and then my parents are in the U.K. saying, uh, there's a big thing about you in The Guardian, and The Telegraph have written this, and you go, oh, my God. Okay. It's because everywhere. It, because a part of you thinks it's going to die down, because we put the next show out with an apology. And also, I can... I didn't say anything, but when he says, "But the guy who published it is an irresponsible bugger," I laugh. Then, but you know what it, that becomes in the press? Gandhi caught bastard on Nikki Tonight, and Nikki Baby laughs. Oh yeah. no! Yes,
0: be. but I doesn't was matter, told... does it? If that's what people have decided, that's what they've exactly. decided. So you were cancelled before being cancelled was even a thing. I so was. You were so and ahead then... of the zeitgeist. <laughs> yes, really. But, I mean, I can laugh about it
1: now, but I had to stay in India. I had, um, I had, I had death threats, and then they wanted to arrest me under the Terrorism Act, which oh is God, called TADA. Yeah, no, that that's when it got really serious. And then my agents here in London said, "You need to get her out." And I was booked on three different flights. It was really serious, really serious. And I had, um, I had Gurkhas one outside my bedroom door, one outside the main building, and then we also had an armed guard. Because because the guy who'd made the comment had been beaten up on the street and so they just didn't know. Because if you offend the father of the nation, can you imagine how that upsets
0: people? I can't. This feels like a Netflix documentary waiting to happen. I'm gripped by this. And so you ended up having to move back to the UK for kind of... I I went back to LA. Oh, you went to LA. Because we were living in LA. I was living between LA and Bombay at that point. And then you moved back to LA, and then ended up. So it was after all of that, because it's not. Well, I suppose it's not that unusual that people go from doing on screen to on air. People do yeah. go from TV to radio. But what I do, one of many things I love about you, is that I think sometimes. I suppose I'm talking more about comedians. So for a lot of comics, telly is the big thing. They really want to be on telly, and radio is a bit of a kind of oh, okay. Whereas I, I think like you, I absolutely love the spoken word. I love lit. I I know you do love watching telly but my favourite thing is to listen to things I love podcasts, yeah. I love radio and I love the fact that for you it isn't a kind of like oh well I'd like to be on screen but okay I'll be on for you it's a massive passion isn't it what you do oh, on, on the radio yes.
1: but I did you, you've you tapped exactly the attitude that so many people had so in 2002 I think no 2003 um, a wonderful man called Kuljinda Singh who I call Kuli um, I'd been I'd been interviewed on uh, some show in, I think it was called Network East, and Cooley was a producer and he'd said, "Oh, I think you you should do something on radio," and this was for the BBC Asian Network. And initially, I just thought, "Radio? You no, know, where's the smoke and mirrors? You mm, know all that." Mm. But the moment I did it, it was like everything that is a challenge for you, using your brain, listening, being an empath, uh, thinking on your feet, live radio, obviously, Mm -hmm. but but the skills are still there. And that ability, Marshall McLuhan, the futurologist, always said that radio was the hot medium, didn't he? And TV Mm -hmm. was cold. Mm And my goodness! And
0: the craft of radio is is just amazing. It's massively underestimated, I think, by anyone who hasn't. I mean, even down to the you know lots of the radio stations, including we met on um, BBC, BBC London. London, and that you're you know you're doing the, your own desk. You know, you're operating everything. You've got every you know you're doing the whole blooming thing, even though it's yeah. a very listened to kind of a show. I know not all shows operate in that way, but you are thinking about many many different things at once, and you're not always getting luxurious, Research packages. You're not just there as sort of froth to front it. You, you've got to do your shit, right? I mean, that's the so true. Yeah. You put yeah. that so beautifully. Yeah,
1: and, so beautifully.
0: And do you? Because now, now that I listen to you, and as I, I can't tell you how pleased I was when you started doing Saturday Live, because I listened to it always. I think it, I was going to say everybody listens to it. They don't because it hasn't got every viewer in the every listener. I always say viewers because I worked in telly for too long. But listening to you do that show has been an absolute delight. But one of the things that strikes me is. I mean if we talk about you know dinner party guests we don't all have dinner parties as much now do we but you're a pretty fascinating dinner party guest in terms of the things you know about and the people you know and the cultures you understand and are interested in, but the amount of research that you must do, even if you just take the Arts Hour, which is BBC World Service, which for people who don't know, what's the listenership of a show like that? Ninety-eight million people. Okay, so for you're World doing service English. That's incredible, isn't it? So you're doing these shows, and you've done nearly three hundred episodes of the Arts Hour. Yeah, is that? Yes. and the Arts Hour on
1: tour. Too. And the, yeah. yeah,
0: which is a bit of so. But, but starting with just the just the yeah. Arts Hour before we talk about the Arts Hour on tour. So for that, you're curating you're looking at things on those subjects and to do with that, whether it's Pedro Almodovar or whatever it is, looking at relevant culturally curated components to make a show, which has you doing some of the interviews and extracts of other interviews. But I mean, the work that goes into that, because you're sort of billed as the person who, um, you know, who presents it and writes it. I'm sure you have some research help, but I mean, that's one hell of a task, even that version of the show. It really is, but I have to say, well, I wish I was paid more because
1: the pay for that is shit. Um, I state that the pay for the arts hour on tour, bizarrely,
0: is really wonderful. But I that's love that's like it. it's like telly. You do it's like comedy. You get all your money's on tour. That's where you make. Yeah. You can do podcasts till you're blue in the face, but do a live one, and suddenly there's money. There you go. Yeah,
1: but I love it. I love it
0: so much. And the is it? The it's I, not weekly, is it? How how often does it go? Yeah, out? But,
1: the, the arts hours weekly. And then the Arts Hour on Tour um, is eight to ten times a year. But now,
0: obviously, for two years, we've done nothing. And those eight to to ten times, for anyone who hasn't listened to it, and there are links, we'll put links to it, but obviously you can find it through Sounds and all the usual places. But the Arts Hour on Tour... So I've listened to lots of them, as you know. I live part of the time in Amsterdam, and I loved your Herman Koch one. But taking that as oh, an geez. example, yeah. So he, so he wrote the dinner. For anyone who doesn't know, and is a very acclaimed Dutch writer. But so for that as an example, so you'll be in a beautiful, iconic kind of artsy venue wherever you might be. In this case, Amsterdam. Then you'll have a cast of characters. They might be musicians, writers you're anchoring the whole thing having a sort of panel discussion people will perform people will um and and so the experience of doing that that isn't just popping over and doing a quick appearance like you've got to immerse yourself in the country's culture the city's culture and then all those components of and the politics yes so how do you so even just that and even listening to that as someone who understands the nuances of that country almost as well as i understand the UK, I was like, bloody hell, that's fair. You know, you, you have got your shit down about this, but you're doing that in eight or t- So every month on average, yeah. you're doing well, one of those, which is Can massive. I say that's
1: probably the best thing anybody has ever said because you've really understood what goes into it. We make it look like it's, you know, a lovely shiny floor show for radio in, in some ways. And often, so so the it's soft power, isn't it? So basically you are going to a country and... The idea is to find a country where there's some change.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you look at how artists have responded to it. So through artists, and that can be from any medium. So it can be a filmmaker, a writer, an architect. It can be a poet. And obviously we have music and comedy. Mm-hmm. But and, and can I just say... The comedians are the most important part of the show in so many places because-
0: Well, they're the social commentators for starters, aren't they? That's what they do for a living. Yeah, people underestimate that in comedians. And comedians are often very clever as well. I'm not saying I am, but lots of comedians are very bright. You are supremely bright. And
1: yes, they they are able to cut through in a way and give us an idea. So, and you know, the other thing, Callie, is that we'll be in like Bogota or Sao Paulo where people don't do their sets in English. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They do them in Spanish or Portuguese. Mm-hmm. And, and we show up asking them to do their set in English. I mean, obviously, we've been in contact for a few months researching and preparing it. But those comedians do their sets and bring something to it, it it's quite extraordinary mm-hmm. but it is the greatest learning experience I've ever had it's also the greatest privilege I've ever had to do the Arts Hour tour nothing else compares to that and I love it and to wrap your head around like going to well there's quite a few places but um, for example in Bogota the FARC rebels had laid down their guns and this peace process was underway I think two years before we got there so it was still very ragged and i went with this rock star called andrea chevri she's from a band called Atercio Palados. and when we walked out so we do this feature called culture cab which i designed so that you've got one person from the panel who shows you their cultural mm, I've seen that's a fantastic thing yeah a real yeah. inside track it is, and it yeah. also gets you to know one person at least before you do the live show. So and does it like... help
0: you? Is it a good sort of hugely? Yes. Okay. And then you,
1: and also like you, I'm a runner, so everywhere that I. Land. I make sure that I run first thing in the morning as mm. the sun's rising. Because mm. feeling the city
0: gives That's you a That's such buy. a good way to... I used to find when I was travelling in sort of corporate jobs and my whole day would be in boardrooms and meeting rooms. And I used to think if I wasn't a runner, I wouldn't feel I'd even been to these places. Because exactly. you're in another fancy boardroom and another fancy restaurant, often with people who aren't from the country or lots of people aren't. And you might as well be anywhere. So I always find running acclimatises you and you literally breathe in the country, don't you? You breathe in the country, the magnetic presence of
1: the earth goes you rearrange the atoms yeah I knew you'd get that but I, I this wonderful woman Andrea first of all she's mobbed on the streets but she takes me to Doris Salcedo's exhibition I'm doing like air bunnies um, it's called Fragmento so Doris Salcedo is one of Colombia's greatest living artists mm-hmm. and we walk into this there's a white wall and it says Fragmento so it looks like we're going into a beautiful house mm-hmm one-story house, walk in, there's a lovely garden with tropical shrubs and then you walk in and on the right-hand side there was a room and it's just got tiles, like slightly bumpy tiles. Well, those tiles are the melted down weapons of the FARC rebels and they've been beaten into shape by women who've lost their sons, their brothers, their husbands, their fathers, their uncles. So the rage, the grief, everything that you can imagine emotionally, those women could pour out into hammering the shape of the mould for that tile, for that melted-down molten weaponry that could have killed one of their family members. And those tiles are on the floor, and I sat on that floor, and I just thought, I understand more through this one piece of art than I think I would have done if I re- you know, read a dry history book. Mm-hmm. So that that's the power and that I mean this is the it's such a privilege I am so lucky to be able to experience things like that mm-hmm. and then understand on a on a different level it's really amazing
0: there's something about curiosity and the sort of travel I've done I'm not as well traveled as you but for you work I've had to travel a lot And there's something about I remember when I first got a sort of internationally kind of jet setting a job and I was in my 20s and everything went wrong and there were blizzards and the plane couldn't take off and we landed in another country. And I remember thinking then and I was sort of 25, 26, if I'm going to do this for a living. I'm going to need to just know that the journey is the journey, which sounds like a wanky way to put it. But really, I don't know literally on that occasion which destination I will end up in and if it's anywhere near where i meant to be. And I realised even on that first trip, the conversations that were fascinating were the ones I didn't even think I'd be having because I didn't think I'd even be there. And I think if you're willing to open your mind that's the bit that i find so sad in terms of the way the world has gone at its most negative at the moment is that we're all sort of entrenching in our own world views and not being at all open to what else might be out there across the wall and that's just such a it feels like such a regression doesn't it
1: it really does and you sum it up so beautifully and that i mean in one way that's why the world service is so brilliant because mm. they tell so many stories from places that we I mean a lot of places we wouldn't even know about but many that we don't think about for sure mm-hmm. and and yeah so to be able to do that through the arts and just open minds and and really all I'm doing is being a conduit to tell those stories to the audience but what a what a gift but it's for, very hard me. to be that
0: conduit unless you've got I mean I, I I I'm sure you are the same but everything I ever do even if I'm hosting a panel for a corporate I always have you know five hundred percent of what I'm going to use. So I know I've got all of this stuff and I always say to them, throw everything at me. And they say, Well you won't need all of that. And I think, well, yeah, but I don't know which bit I will need. So give yes. it everything. And I will do it. And you just want I it needs. there, don't
1: you? You want it in the front of your mind to pull
0: from at any point. Yeah, and to immerse yourself. That's why I think your kind of culture cab thing is so fascinating because you need to get so deeply immersed into the thing you're about to do just before you do it. That so that yeah. the thing that felt effortful suddenly becomes effortless because you've assimilated it, and I very much hear that in everything you put out as a broadcaster, and I think it is worth mentioning it because it may look and sound effortless, but it, it cannot be. So I don't know how you have time to watch as much telly as you say you do, Nikki, and do as oh much research God. as you do for these things. By Why the way, you... can I just... Yeah. I, I just have to tell you
1: something. So um I was at the US Embassy this morning praying that I would get my visa in time to go because... I was such a div that I it had expired. And this I've is you doing Arts
0: Hour on tour in the states. Yes, coming up. Yes, yes.
1: New York, Seattle, and Los Angeles. Oh, what a nice and, thing to do! Oh, it's the most major one ever. We've never yeah. done three in a row like that. But, you know, can you imagine if I let down that whole team and didn't get the visa? Doesn't bear thinking well. Then I did a whole day's work for BBC Academy. And then before I was talking to you, I just sat down and I watched the Real Housewives of New Jersey <laughs> because that <laughs> is what feeds my soul. Is it that's so I,
0: funny? I just I wouldn't watch think every of you. single housewife.
1: I know I know. Is it I real housewives? Love, is, that your, like,
0: is that your is that your is that your poison? Is that the one that you can't live without Real Housewives? Oh, I, I mean, I watch... I, you would not believe what If I you're shagging someone uh, who's emboldened the beautiful for years, it probably just gets into your blood <laughs> and you're like... <laughs> uh, I, um, I do
1: watch an inordinate amount of trash, but I also obviously watch masses of great stuff I vote for the BAFTAs too so yeah me I too it.
0: you and I have yeah. that in common yeah and we yeah, take it so seriously I know well, you should we? do because I always think if you don't you've got your voting privilege and so many people want it that unless we're willing to take it seriously we shouldn't have a voting privilege it's a privilege and, not and a this right. year I mean I just this is for the films
1: I looked at some of the stuff and I thought And I know because I know other people who vote, and I just thought I think people should have to
0: take a test before they're allowed to vote
1: to prove that they've watched it. Because all you have to do is tick
0: and say I've watched this, don't you? Yeah. And then you can say you've watched it. It's one of the most lovely things. I really missed it when we couldn't. This is a real first world bit of the conversation. Everyone would be like, "Oh, Callie and Nikki, your diamond shoes too tight." (laughs) But it's not easy getting through all these BAFTA films, especially in the (laughs) lockdown when we couldn't even go to screenings. Before everyone wants to shoot us, uh, let us move on to the three questions that I ask everybody who comes on the show before I do ask you those three questions though I mean god it must be hard to narrow it down from all the experiences you've had but if there was one person you've met who surprised you or stood out in for for whatever reason if you just had to without overthinking it think of a person who would it be who most surprised me yeah or who's really stuck in your mind for a reason you might not have expected God. Oh,
1: I didn't know you were going to ask this. Oh my God, stuck in my mind for. Uh, see, the weirdest thing is that a couple of people who have have gone on to be really good friends. So that sounds a bit wanky, doesn't it? No, go on. Mark Strong, you know uh-huh. Mark Strong, of the actor. Course. Yeah. Well, he's so interesting because, and he and his wife are really good friends. But having been married to an actor, having been an actress once, an actress or always an actress. Uh, There is a, there is a, I used to call it a genetic fault, but that's wrong, isn't it? Look at me, look at me, love me, love me. Mm -hmm. There is a part of actors that is deeply either afraid or constantly needing approbation Mm -hmm. and always needing to put somebody else down in order Mm -hmm. to, I see that a lot. And I'm not just saying that about actors.
0: He is
1: genuinely, he surprised me so much. Lovely, lovely man.
0: Because he doesn't um, have those traits of needing to be on other people's shoulders to make himself feel. In, like no, it.
1: Way, no, in no way, no punching down. And also makes the wickedest martinis, and loves to walk the dog. And I don't know. There's just something. But that's that's a bit of a celebrity thing. In terms of, in terms of his. You know, I mentioned Andrea Chevri, mm-hmm. the, the woman in Bogotá. Mm-hmm. I've had a number of experiences like that with guests on the Arts Hour on tour mm. in various countries. Mm-hmm. And I genuine That moment for me and what she opened my mind to that would have been closed otherwise. Mm. I mean, I think
0: that she might be... I've had double goosebumps, I had it when you said it and I had it when you just mentioned her again, so Aww. yeah, those stories are incredible aren't they? And you sometimes stand trying to assimilate what it is you're seeing or hearing yeah. and to yeah. try and sort of capture that and think, I, I've got to remember that I was here and this moment happened yeah. and it's almost too big to comprehend, isn't it, when you're there, it thrown really completely outside your comfort zone, trying to absorb this enormous bit of information you've just been told, so, yeah, well My here are... My sister's
1: going to be mad, she would want me to say the Pope, you know. Share. Share. My
0: sister's a converted <laughs> Catholic. Okay, well, for Nikki's sister, we'll say the Pope. Nicky's like, oh, do we have to? So, Nicky, a question. He was that you, wearing, um, <laughs>
1: he was wearing stockings that you know keep your varicose veins in. What do you call those? Support stockings.
0: Oh, like the ones you wear on flights to keep I your. I do um, wear them on flights. Yeah, me You're too. Quite the right. deep vein thrombosis Thombosis, stockings. Yeah. And there's yeah. a look. He was you wearing thick white ones. Was he? You weren't yeah. wearing those on top of your pile of one inches, were you? That sounds funny <laughs> to anyone who doesn't know about tape formats. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Moving on. And my mum and dad so listen to this brilliant. as well. I love I well, can I thank your mum and dad
1: for producing such not only a fine, fine woman friend for everyone
0: to have, but also such a
1: brilliant funny mind.
0: Oh well gosh, take coming from you, Nikki Bodie, I will absolutely take that. Thank you.
1: Namaste motherfuckers.
0: So what would you pick as your namaste motherfucking life-changing moment?
1: I think it would have to be that day that I was on the front page of all those papers and suddenly, from being this, like, celebutard, um, I was persona non grata, everything was over, because, anyway, I'm not talking about that moment in terms of what it did to ruin my career. It's because I started a learning process about cultural sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and I can look back and it was such a learning curve who did we think we are just throwing out all that stuff and thinking it was funny just because it was funny to us in the UK or in a privileged educated scenario that we could mock something no you so that was sort of that was my first lesson that was ground zero cultural sensitivities and that turned my life around
0: how did you, as as a quick aside on this question, I had Sean Walsh on the show a few episodes ago and obviously he was very famously cancelled after what happened with him when he was on Strictly Come Dancing. And when he talked about that, and he's done a show about this, so um, people will, will know the story of what happened afterwards, but he said it literally nearly cost him his life. He was so vilified and had such an enormous collapse and crisis he doesn't quite know how he survived it and I think it's taken him till now to get yeah. back out not because the world wasn't willing to see him but he wasn't willing to be seen by the world so how did you cope with that then because uh, you were a youngish woman you yeah. had a brilliant brilliant glittering career taken away from you overnight and your life was in danger
1: I think I had some sort of um some sort of belief that when you are hum like that it's it is for you to pick up and learn and I just but honestly Kelly if if I if this had happened now and I was reading the stuff all I read was stuff in newspapers or or letters that were sent to agents if if I had to see every day the vilification of me I i just don't know how I would have mm. coped mm. so I think I was hugely lucky to have lived in a time when
0: Pre-social not everybody media. could shoot at you yes
1: but I grieved and I learned and it's a yeah. living loss
0: isn't it I mean I think that I, yes. I think that's a really useful phrase for people to have in mind especially at the moment because we've all experienced living losses haven't we but those ones yeah. it's it is interesting for people to see what it takes, you know, the resilience it takes to go through that. And um, yeah, to the extent that you did. And on a lighter note, Nikki, what's your favourite joke?
1: Oh, my favourite joke is, uh, but it's too visual, my favourite joke. So my phone is blowing up. One second, Kelly. It's not like you're. Oh my not- God. Hollywood actress stabbed Reese. Reese.
0: Reese with a spoon? No, with a knife. Oh you (laughs) You And you actually got me with that. You (laughs) got me with that.
1: First of all, as if I would ever pick up my phone in the middle of talking to you.
0: (laughs) Well I felt a bit number one. I was like, oh yeah, that is my favourite joke. It's probably totally inappropriate, isn't it? Well, we're going to have to use it now, and you might get cancelled again, Nikki. Imagine. Yeah, that. here but... we go. I'll take it. I'll take it. Sorry, Reese. We, we don't have Reece quite as belly. many subscribers as you had viewers when you had your show and got cancelled, so we're all right. It'll only be mini cancelled. And if there's one bit of life advice you could give to anybody listening, Nikki, what would it be? Make mischief every day. No. Not
1: harmful mischief, just mischief. <laughs>
0: that was Nicky Beatty. every episode as you know I pick a thing inspired by my guest that I am going to do and this week it's an easy one it's got to be diving into the arts hour archive and I have to say having had a look through it it is an embarrassment of cultural riches and it will stop me watching old episodes of Celebs Go Dating which at the moment is my equivalent of Nikki's desperate housewives addiction. There's a link to Art Sour in the show notes and of course you can find it on the BBC Sounds app. So that is pretty much it for this week. Please do remember to rate, review and recommend the podcast and we will be back in your feed next Monday as always when I'll be talking to comedian podcaster and very dapper human being rich wilson having been lucky enough to travel the world with comedy you see people from different
1: cultures but fundamentally are all pretty much the same
0: namaste motherfuckers was written and presented by me callie beaton and produced by mike hansen and karusha dami for pod people productions with music by jake yap i'm callie beaton until next time Motherfuckers, Namaste, motherfuckers, poor people.